Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. This podcast is a conversation between two creators dissecting the craft and technique that goes into creating comics. This episode features two writers, Jordan Clark and Jared Lujan. Jordan is the writer of Samurai Sonia, and Jared is the writer of Crash and Troy. Both of them were selected by DC Comics as writers to join the Milestone Initiative, so I asked them to do an episode of this show together to talk about their current books. Here's their conversation. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jordan Clark. I am the writer of the upcoming series at Dynamite Comics Samurai Sonia. Uh, that is going to be drawn by the very, very talented uh, Pascale Colano, who, if you are familiar with the Sonia Versal series or the Hell Sonia series, he is also the artist on that. Uh, and so that's going to be coming out starting June 22nd, running through October. Uh, and it's a alternate take on Red Sonia. So Dynamite's been doing a couple of those where they've been taking Red Sonia and doing just whatever you can think of, however you can 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 think of Sonia being different. Uh, and so my take is Sonia in uh, the Sengoku period of Japan, which is like the Civil War, you know, almost like a hundred year Civil War uh, period of Japan. And Sonia is an up and coming samurai who is kind of drafted into this situation where she's got a She's got to kill the biggest, baddest monster there is. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of, whether it's Japanese folklore and mythology um, and just, you know, lots of cool samurai stuff. So if you're a fan of Kurosawa, if you're a fan of Vagabond, if you're a fan of stuff like that, that's kind of what we're, we're trying to evoke with that one. Yeah. And I'm uh, I'm Jared Luhan. Uh, I'm the writer of the book Crash and Troy, uh, which is coming out for a Wave Blue World uh, beginning in August. Uh, it's drawn by Kyler Claudfelter, and it's also colored by Bruno Ferlani and lettered by Buddy Bodwin and edited by Hednan Guarderas. It's a story about, it's a lighthearted comedy action sci-fi book about two best friends that are also mercenaries who incidentally uh, free an intergalactic dictator and have to put him back in prison. Um, it's really a, a big story about being your best self uh, about the way that we incorporate anger into masculinity and how it's really detrimental while also being about, you know, Meryl Streep and cat videos on the internet. So uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a really great book. I'm really excited for it. Uh, it's been a long time coming. So, uh, but Jordan, you mentioned the, the biggest alarm went off in my head when you mentioned Kurosawa, because I'm like a giant Kurosawa nerd. I don't. Th I guess like most people are right because he's like one of the best of all time. Sure. I, I'm curious, like what you went to when you were writing Samurai Sonia. I'm a big Samurai movie nerd. What did you go to to kind of get inspired for that concept? And like, and and what did you look at to kind of invoke the themes of of samurai films throughout history? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Kurosawa, right, is that it's just like, how how can you top it? Right. You know what I mean, like each <laughs> each film is just like th these incredible epics. Um, and I think even I mean, you kind of go through everything, right? Like not even just the samurai stuff, but like high and low and, um, you know, some of his other films that aren't you know samurai related, but still really detailed and, you know, really evoking a lot of emotion. And so I think for me, the, the number one thing I wanted to do is to one because i'm not japanese so you know what i mean it's like i wanted to make sure that it's it's 
culturally respectful and faithful, right? Um, while also giving you a lot of that big action, right? So like, it's not real, right? Like we're, there's going to be dragons and all kinds of other stuff in the story. And so like, obviously we have room to play around with stuff, but at the same time, you know, there's things like there's, there's a point in issue two where Sonia does like a, a traditional tea ceremony. And so like, I really wanted to have that be legitimate. You know what I mean? Like have each of the, the motions and have all of the, you know, things that you would have for a tea ceremony and like really make that evocative and like a real thing so that if you are like oh i i know this i know what this is you're not like oh he just made that up you know what i mean that's just <laughs> <laughs> that's not real uh as opposed to like oh like this this person actually took the time to you know go through each of these things and make sure that they they pop on the page and so there that was part of it you know as well as like all of the yokai all of the different um you know japanese folklore monsters uh but in terms of like the actual like what I'm trying to 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 emulate the most, like, it's tricky because film is, is film and comics. There are things that that work and things that don't. You know what I mean? And like, there's ways that you can kind of emulate film, uh, and then there's ways that you can get trapped in trying to make you know a comic like a movie. And so my biggest touchstone, I think, turned out to be Vagabond, um, the manga, because I think that was like something that I could look at directly and say. Okay, here, here, here is almost Kurosawa as a comic. You know what I mean? Like, here's this thing that's giving me all of those things that I'm looking for, but it's in the medium that I'm working in. And obviously, you know, manga to Western comics is another translation that isn't necessarily one to one. So that's something else that I had to try to keep in mind. But I, I did want to kind of give you that space, right? Because I think whether it is the stuff that Kurosawa does or whether it's what you're seeing in, in Vagabond. And in manga, you know, like there, there is space, there is silence, there are moments that kind of linger, and that's not necessarily a Western ideal. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> our comics don't necessarily breathe and stop and and give you time to kind of take the page in and and think about and consider what's happening because you got to get to the next thing. You only got twenty two pages, you got to move right. And so, on the one hand, I was like, sure, you know, all of that understood, you know, there's got to be action, there's got to be other stuff. But I wanted to have moments where you're just you're with Sonia, you know, what I mean, like, she's, she's also on this, this journey where she's finding herself. And like, you don't want it to be something where you really don't get the chance to know her like this different version of her because it is Red Sonia. But obviously, it's not I didn't just take, you know, <laughs> the Red Sonia from, you know, the, these Western fantasy stories and just plop her into Japan. You know what I mean? There's there's something there that is different. And I wanted to bring that out. Um, so I think those are the things that I, I really tried to to bring out because, yeah, I mean, like Kurosawa was an epic every time. And I and I, I wanted it to feel big like that, but also understanding that, you know, 22 pages, five five issues like I gotta <laughs> I gotta right. get it going uh so you know I'm not necessarily losing the reader along the way but I do I do want to throw that kind of back at you because you know when you when you look at what you got going on over here <laughs> with Crash and Troy I mean one I mean are we are we making a straight tango and cash illusion is that what's happening or is that uh something that is you know kind of underneath but but also when you think about this is very evocative of, you know, 80s buddy cop, you know, kind of stuff. And hearing you talk about kind of deconstructing that toxic masculinity, because 
boy, one, Tango and Cash is is that, but also very homoerotic at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of those things were. A lot of those things were very, like, tough and manly, but also, like, not. And I don't think they were necessarily going for that or understanding that. But for you, trying to take a lot of those trappings of, you know, these, these 80s action films and these science fiction films, but imbuing them with your own sensibilities, what was that process like? Yeah, so I think you're, like you're right on the money right because like i think whenever i was writing crash and troy my biggest influences were like lethal weapon and rush hour but i don't write cops so i had to figure out a way around that right so they're like outside the law they're mercenaries and stuff like that but one of the things i love about about those like buddy cops and those things like is is that it's so macho and and you're right like it's it's weirdly homoerotic and but whenever you read, like, the, except except for Lethal Weapon, because the, the oh, little yeah. guitar solo every time somebody has an emotion uh, <laughs> is probably the greatest contribution those movies ever made. But I think, like, going into it is I'm making something in that framework, right? In the 80s framework. So in that 80s buddy cop framework. So I wanted to, to what can I bring to that? What can I change to that? because I don't want to just make Lethal Weapon. I, I don't want to make Jared's version of Lethal Weapon. I want to make uh-huh. something that's profoundly different. And so, you know, we have Crash, who is this, you know, male archetype. He's mad, he's grumpy all the time. Uh, he feels very much to me like a less fun Danny Glover. And we have Troy, who is completely off the walls, right? Like Troy Troy just loves cat videos and he's he's the complete monkey in the wrench towards the normal duo and then uh it, it crash and troy is really personal in its journey with like anger and how we deal with it in in a masculine perspective uh because like anger one of the one of the most profound things i ever read was that anger is the one emotion men are allowed to feel mm-hmm. right like and 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 or that's the one we we're, we're most comfortable talking about and 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 showing is Mm -hmm. being mad and so i had a lot of problems with anger for a very long time and i i have talked about it a few times about going to therapy and and figuring out what my issues were and so i kind of wanted to write a story that was dealing with that and what the whole problem with being angry all the time and pretending that your actions you know no you're you're an island you're just a man the only thing that matters is strength and rage and showing that that really isn't the case, that your actions have consequences and pretending like you only care about yourself isn't, one, isn't isn't true, and two, you, you can't possibly exist that way. There's just so much going on and your actions affect so many people. So I, I really leaned into to that, into kind of poking fun at the 80s buddy cop movie while having fun with it in general. And then also, like, there's superpowers involved. It's also me kind of making fun of of, of superheroes. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think the concept of the superheroes is fun. I don't have any issue with it. It's just, especially, especially, I guess maybe comics had its super masculine rise in the 90s when everybody had, you know, 12 abs and 16 biceps and, and 30 pockets, you know? I was going to say the pouches, baby. Yeah, yeah. You had pouches and boots everything uh because you're a man and you don't know what you're gonna need to carry around you know so uh, i wanted to kind of poke a little bit of fun at that too and 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 give superpowers to 
somebody who really probably shouldn't have them. And, and not in a villainous way, but in a, in a responsible way, in, a, in a, a way we wouldn't trust this guy to do some very basic things. So let's just make him invincible whenever he turns into this thing. But uh, his, his rose gold thing, which is also kind of funny. We, we gave the most macho character in the book a pink form, which I thought yeah. was really entertaining. But it was fun. And, and it was good. It, you know, I, I have a really good relationship with Kyler Klotfelter. Uh, so getting to, to do those ideas, who, who drew the book, Kyler and I kind of have a very similar background. We have a very similar uh, 20s where we kind of figured out that you can't just get mad about everything and, and call that healthy and how it cost us relationships in our lives. And so whenever we sat down and, and we're working on it, it was very much a, a personal journey for both of us. And it was cool to kind of to work in that sort of a, a collaborative framework is being able to tell the same story about the same thing. And for sure. And yeah, right on that same page. And so it was great. Uh, I had a lot of experimental freedom. Hernan Guarderas, our editor, is fantastic and really got at me to the heart of our story. And so, yeah, it was a lot of fun writing it. You know, I still watch, I was watching Rush Hour like two days ago. I love that movie so much. It's What's, just. Which one's your favorite? Rush Hour One. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like Rush Hour Two is fine, but by three, it's bad. Yeah. But, well, uh, I mean, come on. Every, I can't I, rarely do we get to three and we're like this is getting better like this is <laughs> they're finally getting to the heart of it yeah let's do yeah, it yeah they finally <laughs> mastered it you know but uh to kind of to to turn another question to you oh when you're working I'm, I'm curious how the the samurai concept came around whenever you're working on this sort of different version of red sonia so you had you have this whole different version and then you have to bring something of your own to it. And I'm kind of curious how you made those two coalesce these, these maybe, I don't know if you came up with the vision for Samurai Sonia or if they told you that was going to be, and you had to bring something, but I'm kind of curious how you made this new version of Sonia. Who's got a history, who's got a, a, a big lore to her, a fan base and brought something new to it, not just in, in time and space, but in, how you Jordan Clark write? I was approached by Nick Cosby, who was one of the the editors for Dynamite, and uh, they were basically trying to follow up what was happening with Sonya Versal and Hell Sonya. So you know, having gone through those and seeing you know like eighties action Sonya and like everything from again like Demon Sonya to like Lacrosse Sonya to like all these kind of crazy ideas that they had going on. Like the one thing I was like, yeah, like there's a huge crossover in certain ways between you know the western fantasy and then not even just the japanese folklore but like i mean we always equate knights with samurai right like they're kind of like if not one-to-one you know like in the same circle you know like a lot of the same things whether it's chivalry or the bushido code or you know however you want to you know come down on it they both have swords they have armor (laughs) there's a lot of things that people are just like yeah they're basically the same and so i was like man i don't think i've ever really seen that before you know in terms of taking these kind of western sword and sorcery concepts and then just flipping them into you know a japanese setting with you know samurai and all of these things because it seems maybe not necessarily like a natural fit but something that you can kind of slide those things back and forth and so i was like that that seems like a way to go and then the more that i got into it i mean even just doing a lot of the research for it like 
female samurai were legit. You know what I mean? Like they were super badass and they were something that we don't necessarily think about because obviously, you know, it's a lot of hyper masculinity, like we're talking about <laughs> when we when we refer to just like the idea and the concept of a warrior, right? Like we think of somebody specifically back then being, you know, like a a, a warrior or somebody going out and fighting these wars and these battles, but um they were the the Onibugisha who were like basically served a lot of different roles, right? Like when the men went out and they were fighting, like they were staying home somebody had to defend home you know so these women were just as skilled just as trained as the men but you know they were either defending the homestead or my favorite uh, <laughs> there was a samurai uh her name was uh Tenle gozen and she like was one of the most feared samurai ever and like basically would go out and like bring heads back to her husband of like the 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 enemies that she killed as just like trophies and just kind of like uh you know look what i did today honey <laughs> like i beheaded you know like another another samurai and like just that idea right like that you have this strong female character existing in a time where we don't necessarily think of them existing but also like when you think about sonia you know she's typically the only woman around right like in a lot of these instances like she is a woman in a man's world doing the thing that we typically equate men doing but also like doing it better like she's more or less like the most feared swordsman you know she's the she devil with the sword and so taking that idea and flipping it into you know this japanese setting and then like i'm a huge dnd fan i'm a huge like fantasy fan so then you've got all the stuff with all these yokai or these japanese you know mythological creatures and sure we have dragons right but then we also have things like the oni uh which are just these like big ogreish demons that have like magic and like all kinds of other abilities you've got stuff like uh the satori which is like a like a mind reading ape creature that lives in the mountains and will like fuck with people and then like eat them uh <laughs> afterwards <laughs> and like all kinds of other really cool things and i was like man you always get you know the typical goblins and orcs and like all this other stuff so what if we introduced some of these things that are again maybe not like equivalent but but close enough and give you a different flavor and a different setting you still got the swords you still got you know a lot of the magic and a lot of the other things that you are used to with red sonia but now we're getting it in a completely different setting um that kind of makes things fresh and feel new so yeah that's that's basically where my mind immediately went to i was like that that would be a really cool thing to get into maybe maybe not a cool thing to get into but something i am curious about and i do want to hear about as much as you want to talk about it because I feel like it is kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to Crash and Troy is that this was not originally <laughs> solicited through a wave blue world it is at a company that we do not have to name or talk about but I do wonder for you maybe my bigger question is that to have a story like this that you know obviously you're very invested in obviously you feel very passionate about obviously you worked very hard on um and to have it in a place where you were like maybe this isn't gonna come out you know, like maybe this is kind of trapped in this weird purgatory after all this work that we did. And then, you know, a couple of years later, now sitting here, release date coming soon. You know, what's that what's that feeling like to to have this thing on the way, you know, after kind of going through that tumultuous time? I, I think the uh, the answer is that I always felt like it was going to come out, even when I, I was really there was there was definitely days where I thought we were not going to ever. It was. I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of the way to say it. I definitely 
thought at a couple of times that it wasn't going to come out. But in my heart of hearts, I believed that we had made something that was dope, that people would like, that we put our all into, and it was it was going to to be released somehow, some way. Um, I, I had, I guess it was it was just hard, man. It was a really hard thing to do. But to be here now after all of that is amazing. To we, you know, a wave blue world is just as excited as us about the book. Uh, they're just as excited to have the book under their banner as we are to have it there. And Tyler Chin Tanner, who who runs the, the company, uh, he's been super supportive of it. He was supportive of it when we when we didn't know what was going to happen. And he's had our backs through and through. And um, I was fortunate enough, Kyler and I both uh, worked with him on Deadbeats and the Deadbeats anthologies. But yeah, it feels it feels really good. I, I didn't get I have yet to do a signing at a comic shop because my first book, Dryfoot, came out during 2020. Mm. <laughs> and obviously Crash and Troy's first time around at Bat didn't go too hot. So uh this time I'm hoping that I can actually do a signing. And uh I'm really excited that it's a book that is creator-owned, that it's a book that got to come from the that has a lot of of, of my heart in it. But it's it feels very much like like it like a, the first sun <laughs> after a really bad winter you know but it's been a lot of work it's been a lot of of staying the path even when it didn't feel like it was the right one and hope, hoping for the best but yeah i mean i think that's like just goes back to what i'm i'm always like telling people is that you should just believe in yourself and hope for it to work out you know uh, you got to take a leap of faith every now and then. And uh, I'm hoping this one pays off well. <laughs> oh, I think I definitely think it will. It looks great. I'm very Thank excited you. about it. So uh, um, I want to go back to something that you had mentioned a minute ago about uh, the lingering moments, right? And mm. I think that's something that's super fascinating because I don't, I don't think Western comics does that very well, but it, it, has, it has so much impact. And I, I'm kind of curious... Um, where you find that influence from because i i also like to do that but i have like uh, uh my own personal influence on it and i'm just curious where you where you kind of pick up on those moments yeah i mean i find myself doing that a lot just i think kind of naturally because i feel like you know when you read a comic one it's a visual medium right and so like the the visuals are what are guiding the story and kind of the most important part but also like the thing that's really going to give you the the I guess I'll put it like this like I feel like sometimes people write to say they have written right specifically when it comes to comics and it's like I need to put something on this panel because that's how people know that I wrote a comic you know I mean? <laughs> as opposed to like what actually makes the most sense for the story because sometimes I guess maybe maybe it just comes from from film you know like those kind of moments where like you get a lot from a reaction or a non-reaction or, uh, you know, somebody kind of witnessing something secondhand or we, we don't have music, right? Like we don't have sound. We don't have a lot of things that, you know, film has and, you know, audio mediums have. And, you know, even within something like prose where you can kind of describe a moment and, you know, really give a lot of context and um, feeling to that, you know, we're really reliant on artists being able to, to, show that to the reader and so you know anytime i have a chance to take a step back and kind of let a story breathe just for a second especially again like i said you know 22 pages 
in comparing it to manga, manga, like you, <laughs> when you read Vagabond, and this is also like, not quite, I mean, it is an anime thing a little bit too, but like, you'll see just a whole, you know, issue, a whole chapter of Vagabond is two samurai facing each other down and the kind of their interior monologues and what they're thinking about in the moment and what they're realizing in the moment, you know, standing across from somebody, but nobody swings a sword and there's never any like action action. It's all just like, I might die right now. You know, what does that mean? Uh, <laughs> you know, like what, what am I thinking about in this moment and how am I going to react to the situation? And so, you know, you, you don't really get that when Spider-Man's about to fight Doc Ock. It's just kind of like, let's get to it. Like there's not going to be any real moments to, to catch your breath. And so I think for this, what I really wanted to do uh, specifically because, you know, again, I'm trying to mimic certain things from, you know, manga. I'm trying to mimic certain things from Kurosawa. I'm trying to, you know, evoke certain feelings in the reader is, you know, having moments where Sonya isn't just, you know, balls out action, got to fight the thing, got to do the thing. Because I think that's not even how a samurai is, right? I think that's, that's a lot of what that mentality was is it's not about it is about the sword right it is about you know being this protector and this warrior but it's also about thought it's also about being considerate about having an understanding of your place in the world and your place within you know the the system that you exist in and your responsibilities as a warrior as a as a family member as a community member and so you know when you when you think about like samurai had to be proficient in poetry they had to be proficient in you know like the tea ceremonies they had to be proficient in you know so many other things that were just fighting but also fighting you know what I mean yeah. and so like when when I think about you know what samurais are and even like one of my favorite films is ghost dog and ghost dog is like you know like this really interesting look at this this man who you know obviously like is he a samurai he's more he's more or less a hitman but like how he thinks about you know the world and is very considerate in his movements and actions and words and for somebody like you know samurai Sonya, i wanted to, to connect in that way too where you know you're getting a sense that yes you know i mean when it's time to act she will act but outside of that you know, I wanted to give you time to sit with the character, to breathe with the character and have those little moments with the character. So it's not all just like, you know, we're getting and going. I think something that stuck out to me, you know, reading Crash and Troy is, is it's very interesting when you think about science fiction as a medium, because it's, it's the one that you have to basically invent from nothing, right? Like there's certain expectations that I, I think come with it where so much so much has to come from your mind from from the writer because even in something like horror like you could set you know a, a gothic horror somewhere but like but i know that right like that's an actual real place you know in, in in london or you know somewhere else or if i have something that's like you know a fantasy thing like there's still some familiar elements to it where you know you're in a you're in an old village or you know something like that where i'm like oh i, I kind of have context for this but for this it's like we're in space you know, there's mutants, there's cyborgs, there's robots, there's, uh, you know, different alien races, there's spaceships, there's Netflix, there's like all, <laughs> all kinds of other things where it's like, okay, well, well, how do I orient the reader in this world? What, what do I need to include so that everybody feels like 
they have some footing in the world, but also at the same time, how do I not get too crazy and over explain, you know, the politics of this particular planet or why they don't have, you know, physical currency as opposed to digital currency or like all these other things that the minutia that kind of pops up sometimes when you, when you get too deep into science fiction. So what was it like for you trying to create the sci-fi world in a way that feels real and grounded and especially only having four issues to do it where it's not like you can kind of sit and, and really like, build things out in this big way uh, as opposed to like, we got to get the reader in quickly uh, so they can kind of get on with the story. Yeah. So the, the first thing when I was writing crash and Troy, it was originally just the prison break scene of the first issue and try as I developed it more and more. I was like, I don't want to do earth. Earth sucks. You know, hmm. we, we, we've, we've seen enough futuristic earth. We already know where the planet's going, so we can just skip that part, right? And I wanted to do something that you you can kind of like get your footing in by by basing certain parts in reality and then just turning them up, right? So we have like the Earth Defense Forces, right, which is sort of a natural uh, a natural development of where I would I see. The militarization of the planet going in you're right like if you discovered if we discovered alien life today the first question on the debate would be how do we defend ourselves from them space force <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i and i and i'm so i i wrote that in like 2018 is when i first started working on crash and troy and i'm so mad that i didn't go with space force because it's right there you know i i actually came up with the real name and so you know, Wexias, the Wexias are really based in North and South Korea. There was a big conflict. One of the big conflicts had come up around that time. And uh, so instead of two countries, I made them two binary planets. So they just rotate around each other and each other's gravity. And they have their differences. And then, and from there, it's kind of just like, well, what what would that look like? You know, so Wexia 1 is, is a completely automated, military force it's all robots right and that's because their closest planetary neighbor is hostile towards them so why wouldn't you just create an army that is always ready to go and you don't have any you know real skin in the game to lose there's also like a lot of philosophy i have a ba in philosophy i'm mandated to bring that up every time i'm on a podcast and uh so there was like, there's a great philosophical question in there about whether or not something like that should exist. And does that take away from, you know, the, the bleak reality of war? So to me, it's really just finding these threads and just pulling. And, and if I can, my whole idea is like, if I base it enough in something that feels familiar and just turned up, uh, you, people, the reader will be able to pick up on it and, 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 you know, catch on to something that I'm doing. I was really interested in in exploring some of the more satirical ways that I view like uh, global politics. Mm. Um, the main care, the main villains are uh, based on, they're named Jong-il and Jong-un and nobody has brought up to me that I literally named them after Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un. And uh, I hope somebody who hears this uh, thinks that's as funny as I did. But, <laughs> and, and so then after that, I was like, I, it's, it's literally just for me, it's, it's literally just, figuring out how I can make something way more over over the top uh, than than it is the way that we live now. So speaking of like I, I Crash and Troy has some real anime and manga influence. Uh, mm -hmm. I was a, I was originally a manga kid 
as a matter of fact. And I actually, manga brought me to Western comics. So I, I'm kind of curious. I think it's mainly obvious when I script action, to be super honest. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of curious when you approach, I mean, you've talked about Vagabond a couple of times. Where, mm. where do you see that the most? Like your influence from that, where do you see that the most when you're, when you're writing Samurai Sonia? Boy, I mean, I think that, I think Vagabond is one of the greatest just comic stories ever written. Uh, and like, I'm, I'm dying to see it finished because it's just, it really, it really is so many of the things that I, I love out of comics because it's a great character study. It's, uh, you know, great action, uh, great relationships, like the arcs, like everybody, you know what I mean? Everybody that pops up kind of gets their own mini arc in a way that doesn't feel convoluted, but mostly like, yes, earned. Like everybody has these earned moments. Um, and so I think for me, the two ways that I, I kind of tried to tap into that and even into the, you know, the manga influence, like there's a moment in the first issue where Samurai Sonia is fighting this giant skeleton monster, right? And like, she has this realization that she's trying to fight something that she can't defeat through force, right? And it's like, we have a close-up of, of her face, one half of her face, and then a close-up of one half of the skeleton's face, which for me was just like, you see that a lot, right? In manga and anime, where it's just kind of yeah. like, we're, these two characters are facing down and we're kind of getting this, this side split of them. And then in, in later issues, like there's, there's one issue where it's just, it's one fight sequence on a bridge where she's fighting an Oni and very much like from the Samurai, J <laughs> the yeah Samurai Jack uh, episode where he's just fighting on the bridge, but then also, you know, from stuff like Old Boy and, you know, uh, action sequences and films like that, where I really just wanted to like, here's the action, right? And like, again, the Vagabond does the action incredibly because I think one of the things that you you forget sometimes watching, you know, whether it's anime, whether it's action films, whether it's wrestling is like this stuff actually doesn't last that long. You know what I mean? Like samurai fights were were very much just like Harry Carey, right? Like we 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 face off, I I draw, you're dead. That's basically it. There's not a lot of clanging the sword back and forth. Like it really just goes quickly. And so, you know, wanting to take some of those elements where like all, all she needs is one good shot, you know, like if your defenses are down, like you're probably dead. And there was a lot of that in Vagabond where it's just like, yeah, that's why there was so much intense stare down and, and facing off because it really was going to end in like 10 seconds other elements you know what i mean just looking at something like a uh, samurai shampoo right where you're getting like yeah this is really crazy samurai like swords and they're just they're flipping over each other and doing all kinds of other crazy stuff like that's you know further down the line some of the later issues like i really wanted to tap into that manga anime influence uh because you know we get it sometimes right in, in western comics and i think that we obviously have our own, you know, style of action when it comes to, you know, these these fights between, you know, hero and villain. But I really wanted it to be something that felt like it had that scale, right? Like that's that big, crazy scale. Like if you're watching, you know, just the most over the top, like berserk or like, <laughs> you know, like one of those, like we're going to we're going to fight. We're going to get into it and we're going to see all this crazy stuff happen. But I think, too, like last point on that is that I, I come from the jackie chan school of action which is that every 
fight sequence is a story, right? People aren't fighting just to fight. People are fighting to further the narrative. And so when you're seeing something happen in the Jackie Chan movie, it looks cool. He's doing stunts, flips, all this other stuff, but he's also telling a story, right? Like the, the fight sequence at the end of Drunken Master, where he's fighting the guy doing all the crazy kicks. And it's like, oh, like all, everything I was doing before isn't working. You know what I mean? Like I, I should be able to you know, beat this guy up, but like, he's just so skilled. He's just coming at me so fast. Like I have to lean into it. Like I really have to go all the way. I have to go all out. You know, he keeps drinking and drinking and drinking to the point where he's just like this unbeatable, <laughs> like crazy fighting machine. And like that kind of stuff is like, that's a story right there. Right. The, the, the hallway sequence in old boy where he has the hammer. That's a story. That's where you're like, Oh, there's no going back. You know what I mean? He's made the decision that he is going to get to the end of this if he has to die, you know? And like when you see something like that from a character, you really start to connect with them more as opposed to like, oh, it's cool that they know how to do, you know, Kung Fu or it's cool that they have like superpowers and can shoot lasers out of their eyes. But if you don't care why they're fighting, what the fight is going to result in, what it means if they win or if they lose, then you're just kind of doing it for the sake of action, as opposed to really getting something out of each of those sequences. And so that's uh, something that I really tried to to do, you know, in each of the fight sequences of the story is that, you know, you're, you're learning something about Sony each time. I think something I wanted to throw back at you, uh, you know, just hearing about your relationship with your artists, I think that's something that is always just fascinating in terms of comics, because it's not only such a collaborative medium, but like we go through it all, right? Sometimes you're just paired with somebody and like, this is the thing that you got to do. And it's a business transaction and you're in and out and it's over. Sometimes you're paired with somebody but, you know, the the editor is kind of your go between. So even if you like them or you have a few conversations with them, it's not really like that that one to one collaborative thing. But this sounds like something that you got to build from the ground up, you know, with your collaborators and really put together in the way that you wanted to see it. So talk a little bit about that collaborative process of not only like working with everybody, right? But also like, how do you go through some of those decision processes? Because you know, it's not always fun. You know, sometimes there's disagreements and, and people have things that they feel passionate about and you kind of have to hash it out. But how do you how do you come to something that everybody feels happy about and good about at the end? My approach to comics is to be as flexible as I can be, right? Is to focus on the story that I want to tell, the narrative I want to tell, and the theme that I want to get across. So like with Kyler, you know, obviously we were on the same page with Crash and Troy pretty regularly. I, we really didn't disagree on too much. Kyler really likes drawing buff dudes and women. And that was pretty much, yeah, who doesn't? He, his, his single request, I think, was like a chance to draw Crash shirtless. And so there is like a shirtless Crash. There's like two or three shirtless Crash scenes. So my, my whole approach to it is listen and work whatever I want in with whatever they want. And I want everyone to walk away working with me to have a good experience. I don't want to be like a jerk. And, and, and sometimes like you have to be right. Like with, with my Kickstarter books, you're, I'm also the project manager. Like I, I you've got to turn stuff into me, but I, I try not to, I try to be as flexible as I can. So you know, going into a book, if, if Kyler came back and said, hey, I don't think this page works, like, this is why, and this layout doesn't work, and, and here's here's why I want to change this, you know, five panel page into three panels, and can I do, or, or more, I would, I would 
genuinely just listen and then be like, yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. And at least let to, to see the layout, you know, like a, something that wouldn't cost him a whole bunch of time because uh, I, I want, I want his input. He's, he, he's a co-creator of the book. He also owns the book's copyright. So I want Kyler to be as happy with it as I am. And it was, it was very a rare occasion where we, we butted heads on something. And even then, you know, like Kyler and I have a, have such a long relationship. We've known each other for like four or five years. So we were just both kind of like, you know, we can work it out. We could figure it out. And, and we did. And uh, both of us are very proud of the book and it worked out. Okay. Um, but I've had, I've had, a, I've been really lucky, you know, Orlando and I from dry foot, Orlando Caicedo is the artist for my first book dry foot. We had a really good working relationship. Um, and same with Julio Suarez on Twin Blades and Matt Harding on All the Devils Are Here. So I've been really lucky. And I, I just try and keep in mind that I'm kind of, I'm, I'm definitely a piece of this greater machine, you know? <laughs> and I honestly think like when I hear people, when I hear about writers who regularly have a problem, I usually think that's because you, you think you're the most important bit. <laughs> and, and we're not. You know, yeah. uh, I'm I'm the most important bit, you know, to myself. But but at the end of the day, no one's going to read my scripts. Kyler barely wanted to read my scripts. You know, like, yeah, I, I script like a crazy person. Yeah. So that's one of those things is is coming into every conversation with a willingness to 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 move if I have to. You know, the only time that I feel immobile is when I feel it's detrimental to the story. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, no, we can't do that because that's what I feel like is my job. It's like it's it's the narrative, you know, you know, everybody's job is the narrative, but like to, to defend that point. But one of the things that I am curious about with, with Sonia is these weapons that she gets. And I don't know Mm. how much, how much detail you want to go into those, but they're super sick. And (laughs) there's, there's definitely like this, this moment, right? Cause it, cause I I don't want to spoil too much of your book, but. Oh, good she she she's in the water she's comes out and they're they're out there late on the beach and it feels like such a a really an intense moment because she just nearly died and Mm -hmm. and um she makes this deal and and when and i just i i'm curious if when you're scripting that did that does that feel as as heavy and intense as i read it or do you feel like that's that's just kind of like your your throwaway cool moment (laughs) Well, for sure. I think, you know, for that piece in particular, right, like that whole sequence, you know, her larger story is where does she fit into this family legacy, right? Like Mm. her father is, you know, a legendary samurai. She comes from, you know, a line of samurai and, you know, like women were not told that they couldn't. It just was, you know, you know, very much like any other patriarchal society. It's like it'd be better if you were a, a guy, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> be easier for all of us if you were, you know. But like, she is, she is where she is for a reason. Like, it's not, you know, any kind of, um, you know, nepotism. Like, she is legitimately that good, you know, that she's in the space that she is. And so, you know, for her, she's kind of left with, how do I move? forward right because when you're somebody who's coming from such a storied legacy what what is your place in that right like are you somebody who continues to add to that do you have any space to write your own 
you know, part of that legacy that kind of separates you from what came before? Do you just want to continue on what has always been? Um, and so she's kind of facing a lot of these questions and she's tasked with this, this job by Amaterasu, who is like one of the main gods, goddesses of the Shinto religion, but just, you know, Japanese, you know, folklore and mythology. And, you know, it's, it's to do a thing that nobody else can do. It's to kill Shuten Doji, who is like the ultimate like evil you know in a lot of uh japanese mythology and so like what else what else to write your own legacy but but to do this kind of impossible thing but it comes with the caveat that if she fails in this mission like her whole family legacy is erased right her family name is erased right and that's kind of this 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 crippling thing that i think whether you're a samurai or not, right? We all come from families. We all come from histories, from legacies. And, you know, we all kind of have to face these, these questions and decisions within ourselves. of, you know, if we're coming from something a little bit more toxic or destructive, well, how do I break away from that and create something new that separates myself from that? If I'm coming from something, you know, that has a lot of, you know, previous connotation where people are like, oh, you're so-and-so's son. Oh, you're so-and-so's kid. Like, are you going to do the same thing that they did? You know, are you going to, are you going to become a writer like your father? Are you going to become a, a singer like your mother? Are you going to, you know, do these other things or are you going to do something else? You know, cause it's kind of scary when this expectation of who you're going to be kind of clashes with who you want to be. Right. And, you know, those kinds of questions I think come up a lot in the story. And so, you know, she, she comes up on the other side thinking, okay, you know, I, I kind of have this choice now. I have this, this way to go forward where, you know, I, I, I want it, you know, I want to be in the same sentence as my father and, you know, grandfather and all these other people, but I also want to be me. You know, I don't just want to be known as, you know, this person's daughter or like one of a long line of, but like, I want to, I want to make my name not even an egotistical way, you know what I mean? Or it's yeah. like, and I stand alone, you know, from everybody else. But like, there's there's that certain amount of responsibility. And she decides that she wants that responsibility. She does want to kind of carry that on, but she's got to figure out how to do it. You know, it's not going to be a simple, straightforward situation where she just does the thing and she gets what she wants. You know, she's going to have to make some some choices along the way. Yeah, I think, you know, as we're, as we're kind of closing up here, just just pitch me on this book you know i've already read it i'm gonna buy it you know what i mean but like <laughs> i want to hear what it is that you know if you're a prospective uh buyer of crash and Troy, like what is it that you would tell people not even you know like bringing it down to the one single thing that people should be excited about but like you do a lot of things this is a this is a humorous book it is an action you know, story. It's got the science fiction, uh, but there's there's also, like you were saying, a lot of different heavier themes underneath. So, you know, if if I'm a comic book shop, you know, that's looking to to get some new stuff in, or if I'm, you know, somebody who's you know thinking about, well, that, that looks interesting, but like, what is it that I'm really going to get when I buy this book? Uh, what would you tell somebody like that? You're going to get all of the good feelings and none of the bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think like. I think Crash and Troy is a particularly good book for anybody who's like, if you're just wanting something that that is sort of lighthearted, is is a fun read, then I think Crash and Troy is a hundred percent up your alley. Like it does, it does have its heavier things. And I, I think that, you know, not to brag on myself, but I think those things are handled pretty well, you know? And I, I think that it doesn't take away from the heart of the book and the heart of the book is that 
we wanted to make something that would make people laugh, that would make people have a good time, uh, something that they could be like, oh my God, like this is a, this is crazy. But and we also wanted to 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 say something. So uh I think that it is a it is a very good book. And and I really do think that there's a there's a lot of people that should read it, and there's a lot of people who will read it. Cause I think I think dudes everywhere should pick up all four issues of Crash and Troy. And then you can hit me up on Twitter about how you're gonna go to therapy now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a sell. I love it. We we buried the lead here, but we are both part of the milestone initiative <laughs> for DC Comics. And I think, you know, one of one of the things that I was so happy to do was to get to meet everybody involved and you know getting to meet you jared and and get to getting to know your writing has been really awesome because i think you are a terrific creator and a voice that uh you know we need in comics we need more people who are you know tackling these issues but also doing it in ways that aren't just like you know let's all let's all sit down and and really like get our feelings out but more so like let's sit down and have some fun with comics and then also get our feelings out and then also, you know, do some of these other things. So, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that this book is coming out um, and that, you know, you're getting the opportunity to kind of get these stories out. Uh, Cause I mean, you know, terrific as a, as a person, terrific taste in rappers, terrific taste in barbecue, <laughs> you know what I mean? All, all the great things that, that people should, should love. So I'm, I'm really happy to sit down and talk with you more about this, this project and just writing in general. Yeah. And, and obviously thank you for talking to me and it's been part of the best part of the milestone. Uh, like you said, was meeting everybody and, and you, you came, you became sort of our de facto leader, you know, our, our, our kingpin of sorts, but no, I, I almost feel goofy with my Meryl Streep book. And then you have this really intense samurai story about, about family legacy and where you're going to go and what are you going to choose but i'm very excited for sonia i'm really excited to see where it goes it's been on my pull list i have it i already have it pre-ordered i didn't even know it came out june 22nd uh but now that i uh now that i do know i'm i'm really excited for the next two weeks but um no it's been great talking to you it's been great getting to know you and um obviously you're like a pretty damn good writer you know like Let's it's 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 uh, pretty obvious to anybody who's read your work. And as somebody who got to read your your milestone story that we aren't supposed to talk about, but I'll be vague. I was super blown away by that one, too, because it's so full of emotion and so full of that family tie. And I'm glad to see that carry over to uh, Samurai Sonia and, and get the feelings in it. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thank you to Jordan and Jared for joining us for this discussion. Jordan's work can be found at jclarkcomics.squarespace.com and Jared's work can be found at lujanwrites.com. As always, I'll include those links in the episode description for you to check out. Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music and Patrick Hart for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Creators on Comics Podcast. <laughs>